0: be with you with let us pray father thank you for um, this time we have to look at the sacraments and uh, we ask your blessing on this time in Jesus name Amen. all right well yeah apologies for the uh, room change everybody um, hope hope we all have our uh, our catechism little booklet so we'll start with um, on page six this is probably our last day doing the, uh, the sacraments section so let's see okay page six page six How many sacraments has Christ ordained in his church? Two only, baptism and the Lord's Supper, that are generally necessary to salvation. What do you mean when you speak of a sacrament? I mean an outward and visible sign authorized by Christ of an inward and spiritual grace given unto us, a way and means whereby we both receive the spiritual grace and are also given a pledge to assure us of this receiving. How many parts are there to a sacrament? Two, the outward and visible sign and the inward and spiritual grace. What is the outward and visible sign in baptism? Water, in which the person is baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What is the inward and spiritual grace? It is being born again of the Holy Spirit and made a child of God by adoption and grace. That is, it is a dying to sin and a new birth unto righteousness. What is required of persons to be baptized? Two things: repentance, which is a turning away from sin, and faith, which is steadfastly believing the promise of God concerning Jesus Christ, proclaimed in the gospel and the sacraments. Why are infants baptized when it is clear they cannot consciously engage in repentance and faith? They are baptized on the basis of their promises made on their behalf by their godparents and in anticipation of their sure acceptance of these same promises when they reach maturity why was the sacrament of the lord's supper ordained by christ for the continual remembering of the sacrifice and of the death of christ and the benefits we receive from this sacrifice what is the outward invisible part of the lord's supper bread and wine which the Lord commanded to be received. What is the inward and spiritual part which is signified by the outward? The body and blood of Christ, which are really and truly received by the faithful in the Lord's Supper. What are the benefits received by the faithful by partaking? The strengthening and refreshing of our souls by the body and blood of Christ, even as our bodies are strengthened and refreshed by the bread and wine. What is required of those who come to the Lord's Supper? They are to examine themselves to be sure that they they repent of their sins, are steadfastly intending to lead a new life, have a living faith in God's mercy through Christ, thankfully remember his death, and are loving and charitable to everyone. Are there other sacraments? Other rites and institutions commonly called sacraments include confirmation, absolution, ordination, marriage, and the anointing of the sick, These are sometimes called the sacraments of the church. How do these differ from the sacraments of the gospel? They are not commanded by Christ as necessary for salvation, but arise from the practice of the apostles and the early church, or are states of life blessed by God from creation God clearly uses them as a means of grace. Okay, so it's these last two questions that we have left to go in our sacrament section, and then we'll move on to, um, I think it's the last section, maybe the second to last section? Uh, second to last section um, <laughs> in, our, in, our, in our catechism. Um, so these two questions are not going to be found in a uh, more traditional fashion in your 28 prayer book. Um, they were something that the uh, bishop requested added to our diocesan one, And these were taken from the ACNA's um, very much expanded catechism. And they're they are for whatever it's worth. um, Those of you all looked into that, they're in the middle of a major uh, revision of it. I don't even know what that means, but um, well, I mean, it's yeah, it's already yeah, it's well, there's yeah, there's well over three hundred questions. And um but I'm and and I my understanding is that in the revision there's actually a few more questions. So I don't know. We'll see what that looks like when it comes. It's a good resource, but um it's uh it's it's a bit bigger than we would do for kinda of more traditional catechesis. Oh so um other rites and institutions commonly called sacraments. So one of the one of the, the um debates that happens at the time of the Reformation is over the number of the sacraments. Um we don't really find the number seven kind of settled upon until Oh, middle to late middle ages. Um, what we did have is different theologians would have different lists of what they, what, what they, how they were going to enumerate the sacraments. And eventually in the Western church, um, before the Reformation, it kind of settles on seven. And um, the Eastern church never really puts a number on it. Um, but at the time of the Reformation, the, the reformers were like, okay, is, is this a right? Is this a right enumeration? Is this or is this the right way to go? How are we defining the concept of sacrament? And so the the reformers give us a very narrow um, definition of sacrament, and so that's all the way back on the previous page, on page seven, where we say um, an outward in, I mean an outward invisible sign authorized by Christ of an inward and spiritual grace given unto us, and a way and means whereby we both receive the grace, spiritual grace, and are given a pledge to assure us of this receiving. And then we have those two, you know, the outward and visible sign and the inward and spiritual grace, the two parts. So the, the, the big thing that is different um, for the reformers is that authorized by Christ part. And the reformers want to emphasize what is, um, as we say later on, generally... Um, necessary to salvation, as we said in that very first question, and, um, that, that this is, uh, this is, this is, these are the things that are related directly to our salvation. These are things that are going to be universal for all Christians. These are things that are going to be commanded by Christ. So when we look at these other ones, we don't see that they're they're bad things at all. They're actually good things. We have all these rites in our prayer book, in one way or the other, and and they're in pretty much every, you know. Confession and catechism from the uh, from the Reformation period that all the Protestants had in one way or the other. They're just not calling them sacraments. And again, that issue is, you know, the, the two issues are um, commanded by Christ and generally necessary for salvation. Uh, so so almost every Christian is going to end up going through baptism and and communion. If if you don't, there's something atypical about about. Um, you know, it, it's an outlier. It's just, it's not the way things normally go. So either you were, you know, poorly, we've been over this kind of thing. You were poorly taught, um, you know, it was a tradition that kind of didn't really understand these things or, um, you know, something tragic happened. Like, you know, you, you were converted and you, and you died all of a sudden before you could do these things um, or, or children that, that, you know, died before they could have communion or that sort of thing. Uh, but the general way for most Christians is going to be that every Christian partakes in baptism and the Lord's Supper. But does everybody does everybody end up um, being ordained or married or need need to have anointing at a set? Si- you know, all these things are are, as it says here, um, practices of the apostles and the early church. And we should say do have Old Testament um, precedents. Um, But they're not something that's directly related to your salvation. And they're not necessarily something that every Christian must get um, in order to be part of the church, part of the visible church. So that's the the real big difference. But what we do see is that um, in our circles, in in the Anglican circles, as um, in the 19th century, there's this movement in part of the church to recover... Um, our identity in the universal church, the undivided church, the church fathers, um, even the medieval church, and less in just being the chaplains of the Church of England—you know, the chaplains to the state—for um, uh, for, for folks in England, anyway—there um, was this move to put to to kind of regain that medieval understanding of the sacraments. Um, some of that goes a little bit too far um, because. What ends up happening in some of those circles is folks want to ignore what the Articles say, they want to ignore what the Catechism says, and they basically want to take their cues from outside of the, the Anglican world, the Reformed, you know, broadly speaking world, the Protestant world, and want to take their cues from post-Trent Rome, and that's a problem because Trent in many ways was a, was a reaction to the Reformation. So they want to basically pretend we never had a Reformation. Some folks do, and that's a problem. Other folks kind of mistakenly think that seven is somehow a magically Catholic with a little C number. It's not. Um, it's it's a late development. It's not a universal development. But you know that's, but but that's you know that's that's part of one of the reasons. And so by the time we get to the to the middle of the twentieth century, there is this broad urge in the, in, in most of Anglicanism to recognize, um, the traditional seven sacraments in one form or another, one form or another. And so that's, that's where this comes into play. And the way the, the way the 1979 prayer book did things is they made a differentiation between the sacraments of the church and the sacraments of the gospel. You'll find other people talk about the difference between the dominical sacraments or the sacraments commanded by the Lord himself and the um, the other sacraments, that sort of thing. but um, And really that boils down to semantics more than anything else. It doesn't really matter. I, I, I do think the question here where it says God clearly uses them as a means of grace is true. Um, but in some of these cases, the outward invisible sign is a little bit fuzzy. Um, it's you, you end up having to stretch a little bit to find that outward invisible. Like what's the outward invisible sign of... Of um, absolution, of confession and absolution. Right. I mean, you know, you'll, what 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 you'll be told by people that advocate a seven sacrament system. Well, that's the priest declaring the absolution. There's nothing visible in that, unless you're saying that if he doesn't, if you don't watch him do the sign of the cross with his hands, somehow it's not valid. And nobody says that. I mean, there's no visible sign. You know, who and, and um, you know what's what's the what's the visible sign. In, in holy matrimony, is it the ring? Well, that's not universal. Is it you may kiss the bride? That's not even in the in the liturgy in, in the, litur- in the litur- liturgy. You know, I mean, there it's is it is it, is it is it right? Yeah, I mean, is 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 it the, is it the consummation? Well, that's not done in the church. You know, I mean, we could go all over the place. I mean, it's 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 a it's, it gets very it gets very difficult. On the other hand, when it comes to confirmation, you do see that outward invisible sign of the bishop laying his hands. Upon um, the confirmand. Um ordination, you you have that. Um, similarly, the laying on of hands from the bishop um, onto on the uh, onto the um, uh, the one who who is who is being ordained. So you do see it in some cases, but not in other cases. But the big point is, we never hear Jesus say, "Go thou and confirm ye your teenagers," or um, you know, <laughs> you don't ever see that sort of thing. Um, and while you both, though you do see, again, pr- either, either New Testament precedents in the, in the early, the days of the apostles of the early church, or you do see some Old Testament hints at these things. Um, so that's re- that's really the, the, uh, the issue on those. Um, gosh, questions, comments, and then we'll, we'll move into the next, we'll touch on the next section where we do deal with some of these issues, um, some, some of these rights in the next section. Okay, no, not, nothing big. Okay, well then let's um, open up to page eight and we will do the church and ministry section um, in that question answer format. And uh, we won't get very far into this, but we will get into a little bit. Um, when were you made a member of the church? I was made a member of the church when I was baptized. What is the church? The church is the body of which Jesus Christ is the head and all baptized people are the members. How is the church described in the Apostles and Nicene creeds? The church is described in the creeds as one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. What do we mean by these words? We mean that the church is one because it is one body under one head, holy because the Holy Spirit dwells within it and sanctifies its members, Catholic, because it is universal, holding sincerely the faith for all time, in all countries, and for all people, and is sent to preach the gospel to the whole world. Apostolic, because it continues firmly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship. What is your binding, binding duty as a member of the church? My binding duty is to follow Christ, to worship God every Sunday in his church, and to work, pray, and give for the spread of his kingdom. What special means does the church provide to help you do all these things? The church provides the laying of hands or confirmation. Here, after renewing the promises and vows of my baptism and declaring my loyalty and devotion to Christ as my master, I receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit to give me inner strength. After you have been confirmed, what great privilege does our Lord provide for you? Our Lord provides the sacrament of the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. For the continual strengthening and refreshing of my soul what orders of ministers are there in the church bishops priests and deacons which orders have been in the church from the earliest times what is the office of a bishop the office of a bishop is to be the chief pastor in the church to confer holy orders and to administer confirmation What is the office of a priest the office of a priest is to minister to the people committed to his care to preach the word of God, to baptize, to celebrate Holy Communion, and to pronounce absolution and blessing in God's name. What is the office of a deacon? The office of a deacon is to assist the priest in divine service and his other ministrations under the direction of the bishop. What are the main seasons of the church year? The main seasons (laughs) of the church year are Advent when we anticipate the coming of the Lord, Christmas tide when we celebrate the nativity of Jesus, Epiphany Tide, when we celebrate the Lord's revelation to the nations. Lent, a season of repentance in anticipation of the resurrection. Holy Week, when we remember our Lord's passion and death. Easter Tide, when we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. Ascension Tide, when we celebrate our Lord's ascension into heaven and seating at the right hand of the Father. Pentecost, or Whit Sunday when we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit trinity tide when we celebrate the holy trinity and grow in our walk with god what are the typical colors associated with these seasons the traditional colors associated with the church year are violet for advent lent holy week and funerals a somber color of anticipation and repentance white for christmas tide epiphany easter tide ascension tide trinity sunday and funerals a color of celebration Green for Epiphany Tide and Trinity Tide, a color of growth and life for ordinary time. Red for Pentecost, Confirmations, Ordinations, and Martyrs' Feasts, a color representing the fire of the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Bible? The Holy Bible or Holy Scripture is God's Word and contains all things necessary for salvation. The Bible is God's revelation of himself, tells the story of God and his people, and contains the teachings of Christ and his apostles, Everything we must believe is read in or proved by scripture. How many books are there in the Bible? The Bible includes the 39 books of the Hebrew Old Testament and the 27 books of the Greek New Testament. These are the 66 canonical books of whose authority was never any doubt in the church. Okay, a lot of stuff in here and um, a bunch of that stuff towards the end was things that the bishop wanted added specifically. Um, So we kind of... He and I together kind of kind of put that together. Um, so let's go back to the beginning, though. When were you made a member of the church? I was made a member of the church when I was baptized. So we talked about this quite a bit, right? I mean, that's that's really what um, baptism is mostly about: is becoming a, a visible member of the church. That's why it's tied to our salvation. That's why we can um, look at our baptism as God's promise to us, and that's why, as we've talked about extensively over the last few weeks. Um, we call, um, baptized folks who have drifted or walked away to repentance rather than to salvation, uh, because we do recognize God's promise there that that person has a baptized member of the church or a baptized person is a member of the visible church. Um, I don't know any, any further thoughts on that? We've kind of beat that topic to death over, <laughs> over the last few weeks. So are we pretty good on that? Okay. And if not, that's okay. Okay, great. Um, what is the church? The church is, a, is the body of which Jesus Christ is the head, and all baptized people are the members. That's a very interesting definition. I like it. Um, we really have within our, our prayer book tradition two um, definitions of the church. So this is the um, this is the definition from um, the Catechism and from um, yeah, and this is this is really the the definition from. The office of instruction that is that is new for the twenty-eight, and that becomes this, you know, our, our catechism that we've adopted, um, and, and it's and it's a bit of a paraphrase from something we read in the thirty-nine articles of religion, and I really like this a lot. This is article number nineteen, which is uh, of the church, and we'll talk about this probably, oh gosh, depending on how fast we go through the articles of religion, it could be in three weeks, it could be in three years um, in our Sunday school. We'll see. <laughs> <That's> pro- <laughs> that probably depends more on me than y'all, so well, sorry about that. Uh, but this is Article 19 of the Church. This is this is really good stuff. I love this. The visible Church of Christ is a congregation of faithful men, and parenthetically, that includes women, right? Uh, con- uh, so the visible Church of Christ is a con- congregation of faithful men in the which the pure word of God is preached, so the pure word of God is preached, and the sacraments be duly ministered according to Christ's ordinance. In in all those things that, if necessary, are requisite to the same. Um, So that's the basic definition our article of religion gives us. So where the word of God is preached and the sacraments are administered. And so that's why we can can kind of summarize that as saying it's the body which Jesus Christ is the head and the baptized people are the members. How do we know that Jesus is the head? Well, it's because we're preaching his word and we're administering the sacraments in the way he told us to. Right. Um, otherwise we may say he's the head, but we're not acting like he's the head. And of course, this also speaks in this question, um, to, to the invisible church, which is something that we, we, um, we ultimately don't know who's on the, on those lists. That's something only God knows. And that's okay. It's not something we need to worry about because that is something within God's purview, not ours. But, um, yeah, Jesus is the head of all those who are members of the invisible church, and again, the big difference between that is just, um, yeah, the uh, you, know, you can see the visible church. It's where we meet. It's, you know, word is preached, sacraments administered, and all those that are members thereof because they've been baptized. Invisible church are the elect, the number of whom only God knows. Um, and again, that's okay. We don't, we don't need to know that. We don't need to worry about that. Um, the way that's phrased in the... Um, in the, old, in, the, in the traditional language is pretty much the same. The church is the body of which Jesus Christ is the head and all baptized people are the members. So nothing, nothing weird gets lost in translation there. Um, so any, any, any questions about that issue, um, about, about that def- defining of the church? Okay. Wow. Yeah, that, this part's all pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, how the church in the creeds is, or how is the church described in the Apostles and Nicene creeds? Remember, these are the two creeds we use uh, most especially in the worship of the church. Um, the third creed, the Athanasian creed, doesn't unfortunately make it into the American context until, um, until uh, much later. Um, it, gets, it gets expunged back in the early days. Um, but we, we have, yeah, the church is described with these words, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. Um, if you look at the way that the creed is, is the Nicene Creed is rendered in, the, in our 28 prayer book, um, it does not uh, have the word holy in there. That's an auto mission that happens at the time of the Reformation because I think when they were doing those first English translations, there was widespread belief that that was a, something that was added to the creed. They later found out, no, it was not. It was there in the Greek, <laughs> in the original Greek. Um, Part part of this goes back to a lot of that learning had been lost during the Middle Ages in the Western Church, and so it's just now being discovered at the time of the Reformation. Um, Because once something gets put in here, it doesn't get changed very often. It never makes it back into our traditional (laughs) language one, unfortunately. Um, But it it often is inserted anyway. Um, Our music doesn't have it, but, but we do say it in the Apostles' Creed anyway. The Holy is in the Apostles' Creed, so we're okay with that. Uh, so it, it doesn't it doesn't validate anything. Um, and we are going to explain that next week because we've only got about a minute and we are in a different classroom. <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll go ahead and end a minute early today. Um, unless there's a very quick question anybody has over that very simple statement we just did. No. OK, very good. All right. Well, um, we are we are probably going to zoom through the rest of this catechism then unless we get hung up towards the end of all this. Alrighty, well I will see you all in um, either Compline or Evensong. I don't remember offhand which one it is.